0: welcome to food focus a weekly companion to the retail focus podcast each show will discuss news issues and product releases in the restaurant fast food beverage and grocery industries here are your hosts trent kling and Layton kling Welcome to this episode of the Food Focus Podcast with Trent and Leighton Kling. Coming up on the show, we'll talk pizza, we'll talk BJ's Brewhouse, and we'll also talk about one of the pioneers in the upscale casual industry, Cheesecake Factory. But first this, you know about the perks that come with owning your own business, like financial freedom, being your own boss, and having more control of your time. But maybe you're just not sure where to start. All of this could potentially be yours, though, if you open a UPS store franchise.
1: The UPS store brings in over 35 years of franchising experience, and they offer stability, the support and reputation of a world-renowned brand, and a proven business model with all the training and marketing support you'll need to make your entrepreneurial dreams come true. Stores are available now in both large and small markets across the country, so the time is to act, and you can actually get with their experts and find a location that's just right for you.
0: Plus, there's financing for those who qualify and special programs for military veterans. Visit theupsstorefranchising.com slash focus to get started today. That's theupsstorefranchising.com slash focus. Well, we begin our show with Papa John's. They've been all over the news recently. They're making the rounds as traffic is waning and executives making excuses. John Schnatter, the founder and CEO of Papa John's, says that it could be the NFL to blame, says the league and its leadership might have hurt the company by not resolving the player protests that have been taking place during the National Anthem. And Layton, this is really interesting considering how bullish they've been on the NFL and their NFL partnerships like with Peyton Manning in the past.
1: Absolutely. Peyton Manning, it's a great guy to mention, Trent, because he's obviously been with Papa John's for quite some time as a franchisee, has a number of restaurants, over a dozen, in fact, in the Colorado area. And they began the partnership Papa John's did with the NFL back in 2010, been extremely bullish. Anytime you see a nationally broadcast game, you can obviously see a lot of Papa John's ads rolling out with that. So that said, ratings have been falling slightly over the past year or so. It's been talked about a lot, obviously, this year, a lot of strong preseason action, but you have seen viewership kind of waning, and Papa John's is actually blaming that on the NFL leadership, not necessarily the owners, but those in charge at the very top. They're basically saying that the NFL has done a poor job in this last year addressing how players are kneeling, and they really haven't taken a strong stance either way. That said, Papa John's leadership really hasn't taken a strong stance either way, but they said that the NFL leadership has actually hurt Papa John's because of their indecision in this. And so this is an interesting take, Trent, because they're not really choosing sides here. They're just basically saying that the leadership needs to be a little bit more structured, and it needs to be done quickly. They need to have this issue done and taken care of. Obviously, we don't talk much about politics on this podcast, but this is something that was mentioned over 44 times on Papa John's recent earnings call, for their third quarter. So they think it has an effect, their relationship with the NFL, on the overall sales of the company. You see a lot less viewership, therefore a lot less viewers watching their ads, therefore a lot less sales. And so you see that not really indicative of the sales we'll talk about, but it has really missed some expectations that are out there nine times over the average amount of times they've talked about the NFL in the previous earnings calls they typically talk about the nfl again in a positive light around two to four times per earnings call if you look over the last year and a half this according to bloomberg but now that that's all said let's get on with those third quarter results and look at those versus the analyst expectations If not for some of those big expectations out there from both industry experts and a few analysts, Papa John's didn't perform all that badly. Obviously, Papa John's and Domino's have really been bullish in this most recent pizza QSR industry in the United States, beating Pizza Hut in a number of ways. The chain has a global business also, so while we will be highlighting total revenue, our focus will be on those North American sales. Revenue came in for the company at $431.7 million. This actually beat the consensus mark of around $426 million or 1.2%, and it proved 2.2% from a year ago. Adjusted earnings per share, again, taking into consideration one time expenses, came in at $0.60. Cents versus analyst expectations of $0.59, so a beat there. And if you look as to why the company is running a little bit more efficiently in terms of margins, you can look to those general and administrative costs. And that 1% decrease in general and administrative costs, which we find interesting really were because of less ad spend which we find a little bit interesting because it wasn't that long ago Trent, i believe it was two quarters ago that the company talked about raising the royalties for franchisees in order to boost marketing expenditure so this we found a little bit odd but this also reflects a near 5.2 percent increase in earnings per share year over year so that may not be the only function of that particular metric to be looked at obviously the company is running more efficient than ever having rolled out all of their new initiatives taking away preservatives and those types of things from their pizzas and that now has been running for quite some time so the company is hitting on all cylinders at least operationally
0: in north america you see their same store sales grew one percent now this falls well short of analysts expectations and the analysts had expected a 1.4 percent rise but there were several analysts that saw as much as a two or three percent rise Considering that Papa John's is going against very strong comps from last year, it's understandable that they came in right at 1%. Now, in the third quarter of 2016, they showed 5.5% comps, and they've been nearing double-digit comps off and on. For the past couple of years, so this is not altogether surprising. And I think Papa John's has a problem not only with their marketing spend with the NFL, but also with the fact that people aren't getting together as much for the NFL as an event. We mentioned on a previous episode of the Retail Focus podcast that NFL ratings aren't necessarily decreasing, but the amount of time people are watching games for is decreasing. So if you're only watching a game for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, if you're in and out, you're not focused on it, it becomes less of an event, you're less likely to order that pizza in from Papa John's or any other pizza provider, and I think this is what's hurting Papa John's perhaps even more than their marketing spend. I want to take the time at the end of this story to look at the rest of 2017 for Papa John's. and First of all, kudos to their investor relations teams for including some of the negative highlights in with the good at the top of the formal press release. Usually we have to dig for some of that negative news, but right here it's pretty well spread out throughout the release. And In fact, guidance was lowered overall for the full fiscal year. Usually that gets buried somewhere in the release, but this was right at the top. They see earnings per share growth between 3 to 7% versus 8 to 12% previously. That's a pretty large cut in terms of their previously guided earnings per share. Overall, they're looking at North American same-store sales to be up for the year, 1.5%. That's versus previous guidance of 2 to 4%. So again, coming in on the lower end or below the lower end, of their previous guidance and then growth whether it be through remodels or new locations that's on par in terms of total cap expenditure in the ballpark of 45 to 55 million dollars on those remodels or new locations as we will discuss briefly in the next story about bj's brewhouse, construction costs have gone up a little bit so while we're talking about food inflation not necessarily hitting as much as what we thought it would in the second half of the year other items have been inflated construction costs being one of those so this doesn't necessarily mean that the company at least in terms of papa john's will hit all of their internal growth goals in terms of holding hard assets that 45 to 55 million isn't going to be able to build as many new stores As it did one year ago. Shares initially fell double digits for Papa John's, but rebounded towards the end of trading on Wednesday after their earnings release. They ended the trading day down 8.4%, which is still a significant decline from $68 per share to around $62 dollars and 80 cents per share they still have a solid near growth centric price to earnings ratio of 21 times although we've seen an inflation in terms of price to earnings ratios so a little less bullish the market is on Papa John's than they were before this earnings release came out they have a market cap overall of 2.29 billion shares are still down 27 percent year to date last year Papa John's and Domino's both industry darlings this year both of them have evened out a little bit and if you're interested in looking into getting into the pizza industry as far as a long-term value some people say the fact that the shares are down so much and the price to earnings ratio is down to 21 times could signal a buying opportunity for papa john's again we're not an investment podcast but Others seem to say that it might be a good time to get into Papa John's, while others argue that Papa John's has seen a slowing of growth, and now they may hit a period of stagnation, especially given their longer-term contracts with the NFL and other sports leagues.
1: Well, you hinted at covering BJ's Brew House. Well, here we are. Quick story with BJ's Brew House, or maybe not so quick, as they reported their third-quarter results last Thursday for the period ending Tuesday, October 3rd. We look at the chain, like other full-service restaurants. They've been struggling to differentiate in order to keep up traffic and boost top-line sales. You look at a concept like BJ's Brewhouse, and perhaps you look at a more upscale full-service restaurant that really has focused on the dining experience, as well as the upscale bar that we'll talk about a little bit later. A very flashy bar, a very large bar, where they really hope to entertain a lot of folks with their big-screen TVs. And while shares initially increased after the results came out last week— Most likely based on a pragmatic comment made by senior leadership, we see that shares of the company have fallen for the past year. A lot of volatility built within the company. We look at the results overall, at least the financial results. We see total revenues grew 5.7% to $247 million. This was actually including more operating weeks also, so we have to take that into account, as the company had rightly pointed out. Comparable restaurant sales did drop 1.7%. Like I said, falling traffic will make falling sales. One positive, off-premise orders did increase 17% in the third quarter. So this is a little bit interesting of a dynamic because here we have BJ's Brewhouse where they really prided themselves on having customers enjoy their atmosphere when they come to dine in, yet people are not doing that anymore and they're actually taking food to go and you see that reflective in their overall sales. With this, executives hinted at the fact that people are wanting to eat at home a little bit more, but they want the food to be just as quality as you would get it in the restaurants themselves. Net income and diluted net income per share were $2.4 million 11 respectively, And this included a net impact of $1.3 million in certain pre-tax expenses or $0.04 per diluted income per share. Much of the issue this latest quarter had to do with the real cost from the hurricanes. Again, something that is probably going to be a theme for us, at least for the few more months in front of us in terms of earnings calls. You see a report or a statement by Greg Trojan, president and CEO. He said, this quarter was a challenging time for us and the overall restaurant industry. He said operations were severely impacted by Hurricanes Harvey and Irma, resulting in estimated lost sales of approximately $1.7 million dollars. Besides the lost sales, we incurred approximately $0.9 million of direct costs related to property damage, food spoilage, labor, and other expenses from the hurricanes. And I just want to extrapolate one of those items that he itemized there. You're looking at the property damage, food spoilage. Yes, those are givens. But you have to take into account that a lot of these restaurants that are affected that aren't running the business, they have those lost sales. But a lot of them have gone above and beyond the expectation here in terms of labor in terms of their human capital they've actually been paying the workers to help clean up the property they've been paying the workers sometimes to not even work at all so those are some of the expenses we should expect to see in the future earnings calls not only from FSRs obviously but the entire industry and that even spans retail as well and Trent The company has been building out new locations, but they're hinting at a slowing of growth. And that's what I wanted to allude to at the beginning of the story as executive teams are really looking to be a little bit more operationally efficient. They want to be able to hone in what they have right now in terms of their store portfolio and not build out too quickly, which is sort of a change in
0: mentality of what they've had in the recent past. And it's something we've alluded to on past podcasts when we've talked about BJ's Brewhouse because it seems like they've been bullish on growth with kind of ignoring how effective they are on a restaurant-by-restaurant basis. They've been growing out and growing out and growing out, but their same restaurant sales have struggled. Through the end of the fiscal 2017 third quarter, the company did open eight new restaurants. They are still on schedule to open its remaining two restaurants for the calendar year, one in Maryland and the other in Michigan again both openings would be in the fourth quarter so they'll achieve their stated goal of 10 new restaurants total in fiscal year 2017 but the company said the growth plans are going to be tapered for next year in order to focus on boosting those margins that we've talked about and trying to get everyone on the same page management wise this is another aspect of expansion that a lot of people, including analysts, oftentimes ignore. The more you expand, the more layers sometimes you have to add to management, or the more you put people in management positions as district managers or regional managers who may not be fully ready for the role or may not have been integrated completely into your management system. So if they can slow down expansion, they'll be able to kind of focus on honing in their management team Get everyone on that same page, but also increase margins at the individual store or at least place a focus there. Their CEO mentioned that it's helped to drive more management tenure, this already slowing of growth. So they're seeing people remain in management positions for longer periods of time. And when we talk about getting management up to speed, all of that costs money. You have that downtime that's involved with training management and managerial positions. And you're paying them a lot more than you are, say, paying a waitress or a server to train in those particular positions. So you have a couple of positive things that could come out of this slowing of growth. Also, it appears as though they want to be prudent and not be looking just to grow in the future, just to grow, which is kind of what they've been doing over the past couple of years. They don't want immature restaurants whose growth is stunted because they get open and then BJ's focuses on immediately opening another location. So growth for BJ's likely will be around existing markets for the foreseeable future. You'll see single digit expansion in a likelihood for the next couple of years for BJ's restaurants and we're kind of bullish on that growth technique. Another issue that many among the management team at BJ's now taking into consideration is the fact that building and developing new restaurants is more expensive than ever. We mentioned it during the Papa John's story, but those hurricanes that we talked about when we were discussing the impacts that the hurricanes made on the top and bottom line for BJ's earlier in the story, those have also drained the resources for construction companies in the southern portion of the U.S. and BJ's that was an area they saw for expansion. Florida, Texas those are big areas for expansion for them and so it's going to be difficult to hire contractors now to build those restaurants. The company now has 195 restaurants in 25 states. They're on track to add 17 total locations this year. Long term, though, shareholders were probably relieved to find out that executives still see a U.S. landscape holding about 425 locations, on par with the over 400 they had been expecting since the inception of their concept. But again, want to reiterate that we're fairly pleased from the outside looking in that they're going to taper the growth plans back in terms of acceleration. They still see 400 as a mature concept. In 2018, they're only looking to add six restaurants, but again, plus or minus, and look for the to be well thought out and in great traffic areas Lane, one last thing we wanted to touch on we've got some interesting promotions in terms of military appreciation surrounding veterans day absolutely veterans day is coming
1: up and this was something that caught my eye because as i'm looking through the earnings release the official press release on the investor relations website this actually came out on monday morning so this was a release well after I think it would have behooved the company to actually have these in conjunction with one another. And while some FSRs often give a percent-based discount for veterans on Veterans Day, BJ's Brewhouse on Wednesday said this week they'll actually be giving out free entrees to former and active veterans. This is not only unique because of the outright free meals, but also because they will be giving out a free beverage, including a beer or a soda, up to the price point of around $6. Buy a Hero a Beer is what they're calling this. The entree price can go up to around $12.95 also, so if you include that with the beverage price of $6, that's around $19 of free food or drink for those who qualify, and in order to qualify, guests have to be dine-in, and in order to get the cold brew, you obviously have to be 21 years of age or older, and this is something they have to include in this formal press release, but they may be hoping to not only drive longer-term loyalty here by offering veterans this very nice offer, but also drive in families of those military veterans in order to extract other non-comp sales. So overall, revenue may increase, but as Trent pointed out before we began recording, this is probably going to hurt margins, at least for this specific period. It is almost as if we are promoting this, but veterans can also take advantage of this specific deal twice in one week, on Friday, November 10th, and Saturday, November 11th. So if you are a military veteran or an inactive veteran, you can come in, And Take advantage of that deal. Get a free meal, get a free drink, and enjoy yourself. Again, dine-in only. Shares of the company, to end this story, are trading around $31.50, and a $675 million market cap is associated with that price point, and a trailing price to earnings for the company a little less than Papa John's, around $20 right now highs of around 46 in this past 52 weeks and lows of around $28 a share so they're nearing the low point in that span and you look at a company here that again is struggling to differentiate but certainly this positive PR with Veterans Day
0: should help out at least in the short term. Well, we mentioned it at the top of the show, but there are a lot of perks that come with owning your own business, like financial freedom, being your own boss, having more control of your time. Those are just three, but maybe you're just not sure where to start. All of these could possibly be yours, though, if you choose to open a UPS Store franchise. The
1: UPS Store has actually just been voted and ranked the number four top franchise to own by Entrepreneur Magazine's 2017 Franchise 500 list. They offer stability and the support and reputation of their world-renowned brand and a proven business model with all the training and marketing support you'll need to make your entrepreneurial dreams come true. And we all know the service aspect is one of the most important aspects for any franchise team. You see that stores are available in large and small markets and their experts will help find a location that's just right for you.
0: Plus, there's financing for those who qualify. And, you know, we talked about BJs with military veterans. There are special programs for the UPS store as well for military veterans. The time to promote yourself to business owner could be now. Visit the slash focus to get started today. That's the slash focus. Our final story for this truncated version of the Food Focus podcast is I'm on location at a, a conference in San Antonio, Texas, beautiful city. We'll talk about San Antonio, though, in this next story. It's the Cheesecake Factory. They released earnings on Wednesday for their fiscal third quarter. We don't discuss the Cheesecake Factory often, but generally they're in the news more for their insane portion sizes, very large portion sizes, and nutrition facts labels that would make just about any health-conscious person cringe. A little bit about the Cheesecake Factory before Layton gets into earnings. Currently, the Cheesecake Factory operates 209 restaurants in the U.S., all of those are company-owned. 195 of those are Cheesecake Factory branded. 13 are branded as Grand Luxe Cafes and there is one Rock Sugar Southeast Asian Kitchen in their portfolio. They also have 18 international restaurants all under licensing agreements. We'll talk about those later on in the story. They also have two separate bakeries in the country. One on each coast. One on the East Coast in the Carolinas and one on the West Coast in California. These bakeries fulfill restaurant orders but they also do a lot for third-party customers certainly part of their earnings but not necessarily part of their earnings that we'll talk about in this particular story
1: as we move on to the financial results for the company we'll cover the earnings for their third quarter for the period ending october 3rd revenues were down just slightly from 560 million dollars last year to 555.4 million this year the dip in revenues has its roots in declining same-store sales down 2.3 percent In the third quarter over last year, this includes a 0.8% negative impact from the three hurricanes hitting during their third quarter. Again, here we have hurricane impacts affecting another full-service restaurant. Although we have talked about Sonic overstating hurricane impacts, the Cheesecake Factory has many locations in the tourist areas that happen to be in the hurricane paths. They're one of the few concepts along with the Rainforest Cafe, also in tourist locations that we feel will be legitimately impacted for months to come. And so if you take that 0.8% trend, you could see that they still would have had declining safestore sales of 1.5%. And this is interesting because this is the second straight quarter that they've had declining sales. You see overall, if you look at the company's past A lot of people were bullish on the Cheesecake Factory, and rightly so. They had a massively impressive run of 29 straight quarters of growth, and now you see that really coming to a halt, and you have a number of reasons to blame. So not only the Hurricanes, but obviously if you take that out of the equation, operationally they have some things to work on. If you look at the executives and their teams trying to actually build out and make sustainable expansion, they're looking towards rapid expansion now during the fourth quarter, which is interesting given their current path. They hope to bring in eight total restaurants this year, with only one opening in the first half of the year. We wondered if they are going to continue to be on track to fulfill this, given all the current conditions in the market. However, they opened a Hawaii location in September, a Minnesota location in October, and still maintain that they will open five more before the fourth quarter is up this year. Additionally, the Cheesecake Factory is looking internationally qatar the hotbed of expansion for american companies is expected to add a third location by the end of the year one opened in october actually as part of the pre-existing licensing agreement they've had in place and Trent, if you look ahead for this company that's really what this is about because a lot of shareholders are scratching their heads as shares have been off two three four percent in the recent days and the shares at the company are really reflective of mixed sentiment where does this company go can they fulfill the rapid expansion plans that the company management has in place?
0: It's going to be difficult for the Cheesecake Factory looking ahead because as we talked about with BJ's, the cheesecake factory's model is really dependent on commanding market share in an increasingly difficult upscale casual segment in order to grow and it's not difficult because there are so many competitors now there are a fair share of competitors in this upscale casual segment but mainly the problem here is the customer base people are increasingly ordering takeout and delivery and these models don't fit the cheesecake factory very well now If they start to brand some of their actual cheesecakes and baked goods and utilize their third party sellers then perhaps somewhere on down the line. This may serve the Cheesecake Factory, but right now the Cheesecake Factory's model is predicated on the customer experience. It's a special time if you go to the Cheesecake Factory. It's not an every week thing. It's an every month or twice a year type thing for a lot of families. So in their marketing, they'll have to convince people to keep coming out to the restaurants and sell the experience rather than underscoring the food. And you've seen that to an extent in their marketing, but I'll be anxious to see, especially on social media and particularly on Facebook where a lot of those family decision makers tend to reside how they temper their marketing to try and fit this new model that we're seeing of takeout and delivery becoming increasingly popular throughout the United States. Well, we've reached the final segment of the Food Focus podcast, a segment we call What We Ate, where each Layton and I will tell you about an item or maybe a restaurant that we tried that's new to the world of food over the last week, and we begin with Layton. The restaurant I went
1: to here recently, actually yesterday, I ate for lunch, and it was Chili's. I've actually never been to a Chili's, and that's why I wanted to really highlight this on the episode of the podcast because many of our listeners are obviously aware of Chili's. Chili's has been around forever, and you can see that they too, like all the other companies we have covered here in the recent past as far as full-service restaurants are concerned, have had their share of problems. But the company has looked to differentiate, and they've looked to actually highlight some of their burger offerings that have actually been a staple for the company for the longer term. You see they have the bigger big-mouth burgers, and really just another labeling of their burgers, pretty much the same selection. But I tried the Sunrise Burger, which has an egg provolone cheese bacon lettuce red onion tomato and their signature sauce but that's probably not what i'm going to be talking about for this edition because a burger is a burger and to be honest with you it tasted really good but it was pretty much the same as i would expect from a red robin or another restaurant within this particular category and niche What I wanted to focus on was the location in particular. It was a fairly old location, and you could actually see that. It was quite visible. You go in the location. All the furniture was a little dated, a little older. What I wanted to talk about, and what a lot of the management has talked about here in the recent past, is the service aspect. I was actually blown away. As soon as I opened the door, someone greeted me. The host sat me down. That is typical of an FSR, but all the service thereafter was extremely quick. They talked about the throughput for the dine-in experience, and that's something that is actually often glossed over. By the time I ordered and by the time I got my food, it was around five minutes. So you talk about that being compared to a fast casual restaurant, that is actually probably an apt description here because you got the food relatively quickly. It was hot, it was fresh, it was good. It met all the expectations I had coming into the Chili's restaurant. However, I would say something else that blew me away was the fact that The ability to pay at the table when you were done with your order was very nice. You didn't have to take receipt paper and write out the tip. It was all done, and I know that's something that a lot of restaurants are implementing. It was just something that, again, was very easy to use, very quick, very simple. I was in and out of the restaurant in a very short period of time. And so, again, while a lot of people are wanting their food to go because of that convenience aspect... I understand why people would still want to dine in in a Chili's given the current experience that I recently had. So I think that that all said, there wasn't that many people inside the restaurant. So you still have to do the marketing side of things. You still have to prove to people that you have a differentiator. And those key differentiators, I think, are just not there. So I think that's maybe why there was only one other person in the restaurant when I went. Granted, it was a bit of a slow time when I went and chose to eat for my lunch hour, but Overall, a fairly good experience, and I was actually pleased for it being my first time at a Chili's. It went very smoothly.
0: Well, I mentioned earlier in the show that I'm in Texas this week, San Antonio in specific. And on my travels down to Texas, down I-35, I I stopped at a Torchy's Tacos. Now, I wanted to try this chain because they are an up-and-coming chain. They've actually begun to develop locations in Oklahoma. They have five locations in Colorado, but a bunch of locations in Texas. They're very well known in Texas. This chain was started in 2006, and... It's actually a DBA. They're owned by Success Foods Management Group. So I stopped by the only Waco location. There are a lot of dozens, in fact, of locations in Texas. Basically, they've got tacos. They only have one type of burrito that they sell. So largely speaking, they've got a lot of tacos on their menu. And I was impressed by everything I tried. I tried a little bit of a couple of different types of tacos as well as their queso. And they have queso that you know if you don't like spicy food, you're probably not going to like the queso, but it's green chili driven. In fact, most of the stuff on their menu does have some form of green chili in it or another. But the green chili queso was absolutely phenomenal. It was a cool atmosphere. They've got a bar style atmosphere, micro brews on tap. And more than anything, just as Leighton tried Chili's for the concept, I knew the tacos were probably going to be pretty good at Torchies. but I think this concept, after trying it, after looking around, seeing how they do things, looking at the very quick throughput that they have for a fast casual restaurant, I think this is a concept that can go reasonably far. And in fact, I would put it above and beyond the Art Taco concept that Buffalo Wild Wings has bought into. So kudos to Torchies Tacos, looking forward to them, expanding a little bit throughout the, not Not only the American Southwest and the Midwest, but also potentially to the coast. That'll do it for us here on the Food Focus podcast. For late and I'm Trent. We'll be back with Retail Focus tomorrow. We've got a show almost entirely about grocery. So if you like the Food Focus, keep it tuned to the Retail Focus as we'll talk Albertson's earnings. We'll also discuss developing social media channels for regional grocers. And we'll talk about a hands-free ordering system that one company is pioneering for use for independent grocers this has been the food focus podcast as always we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts For more information or for past podcast episodes, visit us online at retailfocuspodcast.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at The Food Focus for news in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries.